Am I good? Yeah, there it is. Okay. I don't know what I did. I have that effect, effect on technology, though. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico Church. Really good to be with you. Um, and just kind of remembering every Sunday, it's such a gift to be able to come together and worship God together, um, something that probably in the past we've all taken for granted. And so just, yeah, so grateful that we can be here um, as God's family kind of hearing from God and responding to his word. And in that, um, in that light, we are in uh, the middle of a series going through the book of Jeremiah, which is a prophet in the Old Testament. And the series is titled Running on Empty. And I think that's kind of a common sentiment for us right now, is we feel all of kind of like the turmoil and the um, transition and the uncertainty of everything has been taking a toll on us. And it's kind of been taking our energy reserves. And we just are like, I don't know how much longer I can make it doing this. And so last week, Jason opened up Jeremiah and looked at how the Israelites had a desire to run away. And so the pressure of their own context, their own situation, kind of revealed to them this desire that they wanted to go back to Egypt. And they wanted to make an alliance again with Egypt, which that doesn't make any sense because God had delivered them from Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt, and yet in their hearts, they wanted to go back there. And when, in the ancient Near Eastern world, when you go back to a country or when you want to make yourself um, tied to that country and make an alliance with that country, it's not just the country, but you're actually saying it's because of that country's gods. Because the gods of that country would have the power to protect you, to provide you with security. And so for the Israelites to say they wanted to go back to Egypt, it wasn't just going back to Egypt. It was about they were wanting to worship different gods. This week, we are looking at how that same type of pressure, so all the context of that pressure, and if you weren't here last week, um, it, it's all about the rumblings in the north. So Judah, who is um, the southern kingdom of Israel, is kind of hearing through the northern kingdom of these massive kingdoms that are coming, and they're coming to take land, to take possession of the Israelites. And so they're getting a little nervous. And that pressure, the prophets are saying, that's actually God's judgment on you all, because you have not um, been faithful in the land. You have not been faithful to the covenant that I established with you. And so God is using these kingdoms that are evil and wicked to bring judgment onto Israel. And that reveals something else. This week, we're going to see Jeremiah kind of going right to the heart of the Israelites and saying, look at your hearts. Not only do you want to run away, but for the whole time that you've been here, you've been relying on something else. Even though you say you're God's people, how you live is totally separated, separated from that. And so in this passage, there's a question that is brought up, and I think it's a question we all can identify with right now. It's like, how do we, how do we move forward? Pretty bleak presentation of facts that we're going to hear. Okay, how do we go forward? 
we're asking this question right now. How do we move forward? As a country, we're divided. We're very divided on the different options of how to move forward. But even more than that, the church is divided. And we're seeing the church kind of starting to be divided just like the country. And so we have to ask ourselves, just like the Israelites did, is like, how do we as a church move forward? And what we're going to see is that the only way to move forward is going back to God. And it's like, oh, that's great. That's a Sunday school answer. So I understand you probably expected to hear that, but we're going to see in great detail how Jeremiah kind of prosecutes the Israelites. So as a prophet, that's one of his roles, is to remind them of the covenant. And the covenant was kind of a legal document that also made a family but he's showing the Israelites how they violated that covenant, and he's laying out the case against them. And so as we're going to see, it would be nice if we could just say, oh yeah, that was Israel, that was back in the Old Testament, things are different now, but it's very clear that we are supposed to also see ourselves in this position. So I'm hoping that we will all kind of experience in a new way with a renewed vigor and emphasis the importance of returning to God in order to move forward. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 2 and um, verses 1 through 13. Jeremiah's right about in the middle of the Bible next to Isaiah. Um, it's a big book, so you shouldn't have too much trouble finding it. And I'm going to start reading from verse 1 through 13. So go ahead and read along with me. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. What wrong did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me, and went after worthlessness, and became worthless? They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, and in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and it's good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coasts of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. 
They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, your word comes to us in the middle of the story of Israel, and we just feel the weight of it. <laughs> we feel the, the weight of a people who have forsaken you, who have abandoned you. We see the detachment from the only thing that can give them life and peace. And we see the people going after other gods. And we see this generation after generation after generation. And Lord, we're just asking, where is the hope? How can we see the resolution of this? How do we move forward? And so Lord, we are thankful that this is not the final word, that this is, that this is one part of the story that you have for us to learn to bring us back to you, to, to help us to worship you and to love you more and more. God, I ask that you would do that today, that you would help us by your spirit, working through your word, to help us to come back to you as your people. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is the way forward for Israel? What are they supposed to do? So let's look a little bit at the setting. This is in verses 1 through 3. We kind of get the setting, and it's really an interesting way to start this section. Because you see the word of the Lord coming to Jeremiah, and then he kind of reminds the Israelites of how they were faithful. And so it's almost like he's preempting. This is a great like, strategy of a prosecuting attorney, because he's preempting the argument that he's going to hear. He's saying, yeah, 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 I know you're going to say that you were faithful and that you are the chosen people of God because of this. And so he just lays it out there. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, first fruits of his harvest. Everyone who ate of Israel incurred guilt, and devastation came upon all those who ate of Israel. Now that's interesting because that's the exact scenario that's about to happen. There are nations that are coming to destroy Israel, to eat from Israel. And so Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah is saying, back when you were faithful, this scenario would have resulted in their destruction. And so there's kind of a lingering question, will that happen now? Have we lost that promise, that protection? And you also see this, um, this dynamic of God being a husband to Israel as his bride. And so he's saying, yes, on the wedding night, you were my bride, and you loved me. You had devotion for me. And so he's acknowledging that. And this is going to come back on them in a minute, as we'll see. And so that's the setting. Again, Judah was in the southern, southern kingdom. It was a divided nation. Um, Jerusalem was located in Judah. And so Judah had the benefit of kind of like going through the mechanics of worship. They were able to go to the temple and perform worship. And it was very mechanical. And so all of this stress and pressure of the impending invasion had kind of revealed that their hearts weren't in it and their hearts were somewhere else. So located in all of that, we find 
the identity of God's people and the national pride of God's people starting to drift. And they were going elsewhere for their purpose. And you see that this wasn't just something that happened um, overnight, but there was like a long buildup. The history of the kings of Israel. You have David who unified the kingdom and who got um, the people into the land and organized everything. He had major flaws. And yet he was showing the Israelites, even through those flaws, how to return to the Lord. But the consequences of his sin caught up to him. His son Solomon, under his rule, split the kingdom. He had more unrepentant sin. And then it really accelerates. And pretty soon, the kings are leading the people in false worship. They're not helping the people in any way, shape, or form. And that's just a reflection. Josiah was actually a bright spot. And so Josiah is kind of used in the story of Israel to say, like, the momentum is so much that even a good king can't help you guys. Josiah is at the very beginning of Jeremiah's ministry, and he's like destroying all of the altars to set up to these false gods, and he's trying to restore purity in worship. But right after him, it goes back tenfold. How do we move forward? So Jeremiah jumps in and he kind of starts laying out these charges, and this is pretty brutal. He's doing a really good job of making the case against Israel. And he starts with kind of this historical precedent of abandoning God, where we learn a couple things. A, this didn't happen overnight. So it's not like God's being petty on a technicality. It's like, oh, he was just waiting for them to mess up and then scolds them like, oh, no, no, you violated the covenant. This is a generational buildup. And so what that shows us about who God is, is that he is patient. He's long-suffering as the husband, as the faithful spouse, he is long-suffering. He's hanging in there. And so you see this in verses 5 and 6, where Jeremiah says, What wrong did your fathers find in me? They went far from me. What, what did I do? They went after worthlessness. They became worthless. They didn't remember who brought us out of Egypt. They didn't remember that I was their God and I provided everything they needed in the most hopeless situations, that there is no context that I couldn't work for, work through. They didn't remember that. And they went far from me. They became worthless. So the next thing he addresses is that, okay, well, maybe Israel was disobedient and unfaithful because God didn't fulfill his part in the bargain. Maybe. But in verse 7, Jeremiah says this. He says, God, through Jeremiah, is saying, I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. That was part of the covenant. God had promised them the land of Canaan. He said, I'm going to give you this land so that you can be my people and I will be your God. But when you came in, you defiled my land and you made my heritage an abomination. You get that theme of the generational impact this is having. The heritage that became an abomination is the children of Israel. And you see this progression, this spiral down, downward. Okay, but maybe it was just a few of the people. It couldn't have been everybody in Israel. So in verse 8, Jeremiah says, no, no, let's go to the very top. Let's go to the leaders. Let's go to the ones who are in charge of worshiping me. 
The priests, they did not say, where is the Lord? The ones who handle the law, the law is a revelation of God's character, his purpose for the Israelites, his plan and hopes for their their lives, his promises to them. Yeah, they didn't know me. They were handling it, but they did not know me. The shepherds, the ones who were supposed to protect, they transgressed against me. They turned back on God. The prophets, they were prophets for a different God. They went after things that do not profit. So the extent of Israel's faithlessness is severe. It's all the way through the people, starting at the top, going down through the people. It is a coordinated disobedience. But maybe that's just how humans are. Maybe we're just fickle, and we can't actually devote or commit to anything. Okay, let's look at verse 10. Cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing there. Go to the other lands with other gods. The faithfulness of those people is true. Those people are faithful to gods who aren't God. And yet, me, the one true God, my people continue to go away. And then in verse 12, this is kind of brought to a climax. And Jeremiah's word from God literally opens up the heavens. The angels, the heavenly host, are called into the courtroom, as it were, as witnesses. It says, be appalled, O heavens. Witness this. Look at this. Look down at my people. Look at how they have left me. They have forsaken me. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. This is bringing shame to God's name. His people who are supposed to image him, reflect him, show off his character, are doing the opposite. They're tarnishing his name. And this is in view of the heavens. And then he summarizes the charges in verse 13. He says, okay, here's here's the deal. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken God. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They've done that in mind, soul, and strength, just as they were called to in the Shema, love and worship God with mind, soul, and strength. They've adopted other gods, other religions. They've brought that into their worship. They are longing to go back to Egypt, even though God has already defeated Egypt. And then with their hands, they're, they're building altars to these idols. It is a complete and total breakdown And so we're left with this question, how does Israel move forward out of this? This is condemning. This is overwhelming evidence. There's no argument for Israel to make. They're they're standing condemned. And so the, the little bubbles that they had been pursuing had started to pop. And it just revealed to them the depth of their longing for something other than God. And their hearts were exposed. 
And I want to take us back to verse 9, because, again, we today don't get off the hook. Look at verse 9. It says, therefore, I still contend with you. God is contending with Israel, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. The Apostle Paul has established that everyone who trusts in Christ is a child of Abraham. We, as the church, are the children of Israel. And so God is contending with Israel. He's contending with us. Today, he is here contending with you. And he's saying, I want to see your heart. I want to see what you rely on. Because all of the pressure of our lives right now, they're revealing something of us. They're revealing that we don't go to the source. But just like the Israelites, we build these cisterns that God calls broken. And we forsake the fountain of living water. So how do we do that? What are our broken cisterns? Maybe you know, and it's real quick and easy. And that's actually good. It's good to be aware of it. And if you're like, "Eh, I don't really know how I do that. Here's a couple of ideas that are just common to us. We do this with pleasure, especially when things get uncomfortable and things start to shake up. We do it, we pursue pleasurable experiences with an intensity and a need. So it's almost like you're saying to yourself, I can get through this week if I get to do X on the weekend. Or if on Saturday, I can do this. Or I can get through the end of the day if I get something, a little treat at the end of the day. It's it's just revealing you're relying on that above God. That's a broken cistern. What about performance? We're in a very high-achieving area. So does your emotional state, does um, does your worship of God depend in some parts on your performance eval, your employee review? Does your faithfulness to God somewhat hinge on the next promotion? If you don't get it, does that damage your relationship with God? Do you feel entitled to that? What if it's status? What if it's making sure that your life looks like you belong into a certain category in order to feel impressive? Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's your friendships, your good friendships. If you go to your friends before you go to God, or if you're waiting to deal with God until you're with your friends, that's a broken cistern. They can't hold it. You need to go back to the source. Escape. We look for a way out. We covered this last week. All of the, re- the responsibilities and the roles that God has put into, in front of our lives for us to walk in, we start to back away from. Say, eh, I don't know if I have enough to live faithfully in those roles. I don't really want to deal with that, so I'm just going to kind of back out. We look for escape. And then our own good works, our own righteousness. We look and say, ah, I'm not that bad. I go to church on Sunday. I, you know, I, I give money to people who ask me. I'm pretty good. That can quickly become a broken cistern. That can become your assurance. 
that no, I'm, I'm, I'm good with God. I'm doing all the things that he wants me to do. But if you look at what Jeremiah is doing, he's, he's laying before Israel the Mosaic covenant, the Ten Commandments. And guys, how many commandments does he get through? One. He starts at one. And this is the summary of it. Have no other gods before me? Look at you, Israel. You're relying on this. You're running to that. You're going to worship this God. And for us, it's the same. Our hearts want something, and we go somewhere else. We don't think that God's enough. We don't think God cares. We don't think that God has actually given us everything that we need. And not just everything that we need, but way more. We don't think he's the source of living waters, the source that never runs dry. Okay, we still are left with this question, how, how do we move forward? How do we even return to God if that is how we move forward? And we get a beautiful picture of this in the Gospels. And yeah, we ultimately know, like if you've been in church for enough, like Jesus is the answer. So like, yes, Jesus resolves this, but how? And when he resolves that, what happens? And so remember this story? It's in John 4, and it's a man who's been on a journey, and he's really thirsty. And so he goes, he's just physically thirsty. So he goes to a well for a drink, and he finds a woman there. A woman who has a spiritual, all-encompassing thirst that she has been denying for a long time. She's been drinking from her own broken cisterns. Her worship of God, of God is fractured and fragmented. She doesn't know who she's worshiping. She has kind of surrendered to the sins and consequences of the sins of her life. She's like, eh, I guess this is just how it is. So much so that she waits until no one else is at the well to go. She wants to be alone. She doesn't want to be seen. She doesn't want to experience the shame coming down on her. And the very God that she abandoned turns out to be the man asking for a drink. And in their interaction, Jesus says, ask me. Just ask me. If you knew who I am, I am the God of living waters. And when you get the water that I give, you never thirst. I fulfill your deepest longing. It's me. Just ask me. We are this woman. No matter, no matter if you have recently come to Christ and professed faith in him, or if that's been you for a long time, remember this. Just like Israel, we can't run on that. We can't point to God and say, God, remember when I like, trusted you and made that decision for you? But then don't look at the rest of my life. Just remember that. <laughs> that's like a spouse saying, yeah, don't you remember, spouse, when our wedding night, and I said those vows, and I gave myself to you, that's enough, right? I don't need to live faithfully. No, that's not enough. That's taking God for granted. That is taking advantage of the creator God. That is 
that is arrogance. And so Jesus gives us this picture of this woman because he wants us to do this always. Every day of her life, ask him, ask him, ask him. Go right to Jesus. Don't go to someone to dole Jesus out to you. Don't go to these other things. Become aware of your longings and take them to him. And here's what happens. Because we have, the idols that we have can be summarized, we, have, we worship ourselves. Our eyes are on ourselves. We are looking to ourselves to do something only God can do. And so when we, when we come to Jesus like this, when we ask him, it takes our eyes off ourselves and puts them on God. And all of a sudden, we see anew the fountain of living waters. And Jesus, who is God, when he interacts with this woman, he could have also been like Jeremiah, prosecuting the covenant. He could have said, you know what? You were disobedient in this way, this way, and this way, and I am here to judge you. I am here to pour my wrath on you. That's not what he does. When the woman asks him for these waters, for this refreshment, he gives himself. He pours himself out on the cross, taking that wrath. He doesn't stop there. He pours his spirit out onto his people, bringing us into fellowship with the living God. And that spirit is exactly what Jesus is talking about. It becomes in us are in our hearts a source of living water so that we are taken care of. We don't need to go anywhere else. And it takes us reminding of ourselves every day, go directly to Jesus. Go to him in prayer. Seek him and put your eyes on him. Meditate on him. And watch him quench your thirst. Watch the source of living water wash over you and bring you peace. Let's close in prayer. In prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are such, such model examples of Israel. And we... Um, we are just so thankful, Lord, that you have seen us from the very beginning. You know us to our core, and you know exactly how to speak to us, how to draw us in. We're so thankful that when you contend with us now, you're doing so through your Son, and that instead of prosecuting and bringing judgment on us from the old covenant, you've made a new covenant Lord, and that we hope in that, and that, that you, you provide us with everything that we need. And so, God, I ask that, you, that we would believe that and live like it. God, help us, help us as we grumble about things. Help us to remember what we've been given and to respond in gratefulness, in praise, in song. Help us to stop paying so much attention to ourselves, so much so that we forget you in our day-to-day -day lives. Help us to see you. Help us to meditate on you, be filled by you. And God, we can only do this 
by your spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that we would be filled with the spirit, that we would go directly to Jesus and that we would, that we would meet him just as the woman at the well, that we would experience again and freshly that stream of living water boiling up in us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.